Welcome to Nero Knowledge. A University of Windsor graduate with a bachelor's degree in sociology and a minor in criminology and psychology, Amy Boudreaux has spent the last nine years as a police constable with a specialty in crime prevention. She holds a professional communication certificate from the University of Toronto, has the International Crime Prevention Specialist designation, and is currently enrolled in a leadership certificate program at the University of Waterloo. Amy serves as a mental health ambassador, peer support team member, and is part of the First Responder Mindfulness Network run by the Ministry of the Solicitor General Corporate Healthcare and Wellness Branch. Amy has extensive training in crisis response, crisis intervention, and mental health awareness training. In 2016, she attended the International Meditation Center located in Chiang Mai, Thailand, for meditation training, and in 2017, she began organizing meditation sessions at a local temple for police employees. At the same time, she launched her The Yoga Cop social media platforms to advocate, educate, inspire, and spread awareness. She holds a corporate yoga certification, trauma-sensitive yoga certification, and uses trauma release exercises, which assist the body in releasing deep muscular patterns of stress, tension, and trauma to help others in reaching a state of balance. Occupational stress injury and post-traumatic stress disorder can develop over time from persistent work-related psychological injury or difficulty caused by traumatic experiences, prolonged high stress, or fatigue during service. Amy's mission is to assist others in developing self-care, self-compassion, self-belief, and optimism, and to teach others how to maintain individual well-being protective factors against burnout and psychological difficulties through a unique mental resiliency framework. Amy remains involved with the policing community through several activities, including executive board member for the International Society of Crime Prevention Practitioners, community liaison for the Canadian Society of Evidence-Based Policing, Advancing We in Policing Committee member, an Ontario working group, and crime prevention through environmental design level one instructor. Hey everyone, this is Nick again with Nero Knowledge. We are having a, another wellness guest and uh, one of a, a different type. Kind of talked about working in life balance with Don Reby a couple episodes ago, but now we have Amy Boudreau. Um, so, and I'll jump into this, Amy, right away because I find it a very intriguing name. You are uh, titled the Yoga Cop. <laughs> yeah. So let's go right. To, let's start right there with that and uh, what that means, and jump into this whole uh, wellness bit you have for us. Sure. Um, so I'll just start off. Before I became a police officer, um, I was really interested in health and wellness. Um, I've always spent time reading and researching um, my whole life. And back in 2008 is when I found yoga and meditation and started to incorporate that into uh, my life. Um, I had a lot of adversity growing up. Um, so I was looking for ways to manage my stress. Um, my parents divorced when I was really young, and I grew up in a single-parent home. So my mom struggled financially. We were on welfare. I moved out when I was 18 and was supporting myself while going to university full-time. So there's been times where I worked, you know, three, four jobs. And, you know, being able to have energy and resilience 
and face different challenges that maybe other people might might not experience um, because of my circumstances I was born into. I had to look for other ways that could keep me moving forward. So um, that's when I found yoga and meditation. And even though I was practicing it, I wasn't nearly as good at it as I am now because, again, it takes time to build those skill sets. It's a, it's a habit. Mm. Um, and then I became a police officer in 2011. And I think that I was a pretty resilient person at that time. Um, but four years into my job, there was nothing that really could have prepared me for what I experienced. So, um, yeah, sorry, four or five years on. So at this time, I was um, working shift work, and I had never really worked shift work before. And, you know, people talk about it. Oh, yeah, you know, shift work is going to be challenging. But if you don't experience it, you can never really know how challenging it actually does become on your body physically, Mm. Um, especially working long hours, if you're not getting the proper sleep, um, you know, working overtime, plus the types of calls that you're going to. It can add a lot of stress um, dealing with... um, you know, on your body, right? You're always in that fight or flight. You never know what your circumstances are going to be um, walking into on yeah. the job. So I w- at that point, I really started to not feel well. I couldn't, I was averaging maybe like three, four hours of sleep, if that. Couldn't sleep in the daytime. I had to take melatonin to try to, which is a natural sleep aid to try to help me sleep. I was, um, I developed uh, digestive issues. Um, I had chronic pain in my back all the time. So from old sport injuries, I just feel like I did not feel well. And the first two things that usually go when you're not feeling the best or you're really tired is your diet and your exercise. So those two things kind of fell to the wayside. I started eating whatever was available during my shifts, whatever to pick me up. So sometimes you're eating things that you shouldn't be eating like sugar and stuff like that. Cause you just need to pick me up. And I was kind of going into the spiral. So even though I looked like I was in shape, I felt awful, and internally I just wasn't feeling my best. And then um, 2015, um, my one of my best friends who was on my shift, so I had, I had moved away from home um, for the job, and so her family really became like my second family. Um, and the people you work with do become like your family um, when you're working those long hours. And um, her, she had three children and her middle child ended up dying in an ATV accident, which really hit really hard for me. Um, you know, not only did I lose somebody who was like a niece to me and I was grieving from that, but then I was also being there for my friend in the worst possible time of her life. Um, so I moved in with them for three weeks um, tried to help them, you know, cook and clean, uh, wrote the eulogy, helped them plan funeral arrangements. And meanwhile, I was trying to be strong and be supportive. And then, um, you know, I'd go home and I'd cry at night and I'm dealing with this personal experience. And, uh, and then it was time to go back to work um, because I'm not next of kin and obviously life goes on. And mm-hmm. so when I first got back to work right after this incident, um, I all of a sudden had these call types of calls for service that were triggers. So um, one of the first calls I went to was for a seven-year-old who passed away from choking. Um, the next was a double uh, fatal car crash where two young uh, people in their 20s had passed away. And then the next one was 
uh, a senior citizen who was a good Samaritan trying to stop a road rage incident and ended up getting run over. And I had to do the death notification to the whole family. And there was a lot of young children that were there. So during this short time span, I went through a lot of grief and I could tell that it, it had affected me and I wasn't the same at work. I couldn't handle certain calls the same way. I was constantly in this reactive um, emotional state. I couldn't control my emotions. I tried to talk to my supervisor and I would just bawl my eyes out for no reason. And like, what is wrong with me? I feel like I'm at it, like I have no control over my, you know, emotions or my what's going on in my body and felt very isolating. And at that time, I decided that, you know what, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to talk to somebody just to kind of maybe work through how I'm feeling with some of this grief. And the funny thing is, is that I didn't really feel like it helped me that I don't know. Um, there wasn't anything that was said to me that was like an aha moment. So at that time, um, during that seven month period, I was like, really realized that you know, I had to take health into my own hands. And what was I going to do about it? Like, how was I going to get through this period that was, uh, you know, very stressful in my life. And um, so I decided to take a break from frontline into another unit, um, which had a little bit more of a normal schedule. And in 2016, I actually went to Thailand for a full month. And I learned all about different types of detoxes. I learned, um, more about meditation than I had before and yoga. I actually went up into the mountains with some of the Buddhist monks. I learned all about um, the different types of meditation, walking meditation, laying meditation, moving meditation, standing meditation, and how they all train your mind in a different way from concentration to mindfulness, movement, and um, just learning more how, how to breathe properly and how breath and movement functioning, um, which is yoga, how those postures can help relief uh, or release some of the stress and trauma that actually build up in your body. Um, different tremor release exercises that use psoas muscles um, that build, is, which allows you to kind of release again some of that built up and just understanding the mind-body-spirit connection of um what what it means um, to kind of have these stress and trauma experiences um, and what that does to your body. And if you don't uh, release these or recycle these emotions properly, then it can cause all sorts of different types of illnesses or um, dysfunctioning within your mind and body. So um, with that information, I the following year, I found... Um, a local temple that was offering free meditation sessions. And because I had just learned about it, um, I wanted to share that with other people. So I started to organize on my own time um, meditation sessions at the Fo Guan Shan Temple of Toronto and opened them up to any employees that were interested. You didn't have to be an officer, but it was anybody who worked for the organization. Um, and we filled up. It started with like 10 people. And we had maximum people in our classes, uh, 30 plus people, both equally men and women, which shows you that there are people who are out there that need it. There was, um, you know, you don't have to be just law enforcement. It can be anybody like everybody has stress and trauma in their life. You know, sometimes um, people need it because they've just lost a family member. Other people were diagnosed with cancer um, or they were dealing with something um, in their life that was challenging. And this was a way to help 
um, br- uh, bring calmness and clarity um, so that they were able to uh, make better decisions and uh, become stronger. And it's a way to self-heal because a lot of the times that we go through these things, um, it's temporary. Um, and there's these all these different holistic practices that are out there that can help the body um, heal itself. So recognizing that I wanted to create a, a social platform to share some of this information. Plus, I wanted to show a personal side of me and humanize the badge because yoga, meditation, and, you know, I am a police officer. It's one of the things that I do, but I'm also, you know, a person who um, speaks and writes and does yoga and I have all these other interests and that's a part of me too. So I chose the, the name The Yoga Cop. Um, for that reason, so that I could share um, what I've learned. And then, you know, as a result, I'm empowering other people to share their stories, to show that it's uh, not weak to speak about your personal story and the stresses and traumas that we experience, because we all go through stuff in our lives. And it doesn't mean that, um, you know, we have to be broken to do the work. It just means that, you know, let's have self-care practices so that we can last 30 years in this type of line of work. Um, you know, as a result, I'm supporting other people, understanding their worth as well, and just educating people on positive coping strategies th- through mindful meditation, yoga, breath exercises, and those types of things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. While you were telling that story, the, <clears throat> excuse me, towards the end, the, the fact that it's not just for police or law enforcement, there's something uh, greater in it for everybody um, because everybody has stress. And the fact that, uh, you know, you are pushing that out even in a sense of further and not discriminating, so to speak, um, us versus them as some people's mentality are. Not sure about Canada, but in the States occasionally there's definitely people who have an us versus them uh, mentality mm-hmm. on, on both sides of the lines of, of law enforcement and civilian. But um, the fact that you've, again, recognized that there are stressors for everybody to address and, and it's not just, but it's great to have that branding of the yoga cop to get some of those kind of traditional mindset uh, law enforcement people to, to break down a little bit and recognize that they need uh, the wellness as well, the health uh, to be optimal as, as best as they can, mental physical and, and, and spiritual in a sense. So yeah, with yeah, that, I agree. Um, you have uh, given me a great presentation here of the information that we're going to go over. You spoke a lot about a lot of traumas and a lot of uh, things from your past and then um, didn't get into it. But when you, you spoke of getting into the work, you did speak a, of stress. So what was the uh, stress during the job that you um, have not only experienced, but have seen basically that everybody experienced, whether they realize it or not? What are some of those uh, occupational stressors that, that come about? Yeah, well, um, we have all sorts of different types of stressors when we enter the workforce. Um, it, you got to break it down into two different types. Um, because we have different types of stress, especially when you look at policing um, or any type of work. Um, So the first one is occupational stress, so any type of organizational um, workplace environment stress that you're going to get, that can be through the structure, function 
of the work itself. Um, this will be the shift work, the paperwork that's associated to it. Um, you know, you're expected to have a wide range of skills that you're needed. You're expected to high perform. Um, sometimes we have to do our job and we have lack of resources. So there's stress in relation to that because you're expected to do a lot more with less. Um, and then the nature of police culture within itself, you know, and in the court systems, having to deal with the day in and day out stressors of the nature of the job itself can be very stressful. Hmm. Um, and then we also have the operational stress, that side of it, which is the day-to-day activities. So the fact that we have to deal with difficult, aggressive or unsavory people in the, in the line of our work, you know, we're not attending calls um, usually on a good day unless, you know, we're doing active community engagement. Um, but if someone's calling 911, it's because there's an emergency. So we're right. dealing with that high stress incident. There's a lot of critical incidences, lots of trauma, um, lots of things that, you know, and some people might have the mentality of, well, this is what you signed up for. And yeah, yeah granted, there, we sign up to do this job, but we don't choose to see or hear certain things. Um, and at the end of the day, we're still human beings. It doesn't matter how tough or how resilient you think you are. There's certain certain calls you're going to go to that are going to affect you. And that's going to build up over time. You know, you're going to see there's going to be inconsolable grief at times where you feel like you're doing your best to offer help to somebody. But there's certain circumstances that even if you do your best, the outcome is not what we want. And people still pass away or something still happens that we can't really control, right? We do our best, um, but sometimes it doesn't turn out the way we want it. Um, We're often put in fear-inducing situations. So we're we're at a heightened sense of awareness. You never know what situation you're getting into. Um, Sometimes it could be just you think it's a regular type of call coming in and you get there and it's something you know, you did not expect. So anytime, even a traffic stop can turn into that, right? So you have this high level of alertness when you're driving to calls, you're visualizing the worst case scenario. So essentially you're, you're getting your body ready. So you're in this constant state of fight, flight, or freeze Mm -hmm. uh, response, right? All that high stress. Um, Plus on top of it now, we have a lot of public scrutiny, right? You know, um, people more now today than before, um, you know, are, you know, there's there's um, media, there's people, everyone has cameras. And not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, sometimes um, sometimes you don't see the whole story or the whole picture of what's going on. Um, or you have citizens who do not like police, so just because they see the uniform, like you could be a really great cop and you could be, um, you know, bias-free and you could be... Um, trained and and giving people like being neutral and giving people what they need but people automatically might react because they see the uniform so there's different levels of public scrutiny um even organizational scrutiny too because we're held to a higher standard and you have to make sure that you're performing the way that you were trained and um, not making mistakes but this is all happening in microseconds like you're making split second decisions that could have you know, lasting impact on you and other people, right? Yep. Um, and then the idea of the physical exertion too. So you're working long shifts. Um, a lot of times you're getting overtime. Sometimes um, you're taking home, work home with you to finish up on certain things. And uh, and again, mixed with the not sleeping properly, maybe your diet and all the, all these other things, it's going to drain you physically and you're not going to be at your best when you're going into work. And that's 
not what we want, right? We want people to be, you know, healthy um, and have energy. And, you know, how are you going to show up in the world? And how are you going to show up at a call? You want to give people the best service that you can possibly give. And you want to feel good doing it um, in those situations. So, yeah, definitely. Um, and not, not even just... Um, I know we're talking about frontline officers right now, but even if you're not a frontline officer, um, there's still high job demands, low levels of resources, control, social, different social social support. There could be perceptions of poor organizational justice. Um, you know, if people feeling like they're not being heard at work, mm-hmm. um, whether you're on the, the front lines or not, because there's a lot of units that um, that organizations need to function in, right? So a lot of those are also um, administrative roles as well. But, um, you know, if there's, if there's inappropriate resources or inconsistent leadership styles, or if there's a perception that there's a lack of support between coworkers or leaders, then that's also going to cause a lot of stress at work, which ultimately can affect people's performance and their wellness. Um, you know, especially if we look at, um, let's say 901 call takers, Right. Or let's say crime analysts, right? You guys are uh, have inherently stressful jobs. Um, 901 dispatchers have to take thousands of calls a year. They have to make life or death decisions in minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have to manage their emotions during the calls, communicating quickly, accurately, making sure that you know they're managing the call before police officers get there. So a lot of times they can feel like they're a forgotten victim or... You know, same with crime analysts, they have these high expectations. Um, you know, why isn't this on my desk yesterday? Yeah. You know, do this, do that. Or maybe they're feeling frustrated because they're not using their skills to the fullest um, because a lot of organizations aren't utilizing them um, to their full potential, right? A lot of them are very highly educated, but they're not always um, used with their skill sets that they come in with. So that can add a lot of stress as well. So, this isn't just about frontline. It's about um, everybody, really. And there's a lot of studies that, even though you know we're focusing on um, on traumatic events that maybe officers attend, there's studies that show that there's more elevated mental health risks to um, some of the occupational stressors that I mentioned about the workplace culture and within the organization itself versus what's out out there going on the road. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It it was interesting when you were talking about, excuse me, the critical incidents and trauma. One of the the things that come to mind obviously is is PTSD, which is huge. I'm guessing uh, with uh, you folks in Canada as well, but uh, in the States the last several years and uh, hopefully abroad as well, but uh, people sign up to become part of the military and as we're usually aware now that there's a mental health uh, issue, usually when they come back with PTSD. So, um, and people don't, you know, kind of carry that over to other fields. You don't become a soldier because you want to do some of the things that you're going to be tasked with if it is wartime that you have to be a part of. Um, but the same thing as you were saying it's one of those mentalities is like, oh, well, you knew what you signed up for. So, you know, you should be all set to it. It's like, no, man, that's not how that works at all. I mean, we know what we signed Mm -hmm. up for because 
we are, you know, in the belief system of, of providing the service, service either mm-hmm. to the country or the community, um, something at large. So uh, it, it was great that you mentioned that and kind of that application falls apart for some reason, doesn't carry over to the other, uh, you know, firefighters would be the, the same thing. I mean, yeah, they're there to put out well, a fire, but if somebody's in the building, they're going to be seeing some things that they would rather not see ever in their lifetime. Yeah. I mean, and occupational stress injuries and post-traumatic stress disorder, um, that can be developed over time from persistent work-related psychological injury. So like mm. you go to a call and you see something, but it can also be caused from not just the traumatic experiences, but prolonged high stress mm-hmm. or even fatigue during the service. So um, that's why it's really important that people become educated and aware of how to maintain their individual well-being protective factors against the burnout right. and against the any other type of psychological difficulties that um, may come up from all these different types of stressors at work. Yeah. So with all these stressors, what what is this doing to us? So I mean, you're the the yoga cop, so you're you know that unity of the kind of usually the breakdown of the three, right? In sense of mind, body, and, and and spirit in some form. What what is this doing to everybody's body? All these stresses. So our response to stress and trauma, it's an unconscious primal physical response. We actually have no control. Over the like how we're reacting when we're in certain situations, um, our bodies change both physiologically and chemically to get us away from danger. So, like I mentioned, it's kind of referred to as the fight, flight, or freeze response. Um, so this will include heart. Your heart rate will increase. Um, your muscles may tense up. Your breathing is going to um, become more rapid. You're going to be in this state of hyper arousal, um, and you're going to have emotional triggers that come through which is to ensure that you survive. Like if you have to get away from danger, if you need to fight or if you have to get in there, then you're ramped up for that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing with stress though is it doesn't just, it, it's not just, it doesn't just affect our, um, it's not just perceived threats or challenges that we go to. When we take that home with us, it now affects our um, biological psychological and social dimensions. So mm-hmm. when it starts to manifest in our bodies and we don't know how to recycle them out, it can start, that's when we start to decline mentally. And then it'll um, also now um, start to affect our social circles and our relationships. So that's why it's really important to understand uh, what's happening in the process. So uh, most trauma and stress are often remembered as a physical sensation in our body from our sensory input. So if you go to a call, um, most of the things that people like relive, it's going to be the sounds, the smells, the sights, they're going to keep flashing. It's like, it's because that's how you kind of remember it. Hmm. So what happens is the, um, the, the amygdala, sorry, (laughs) in our brain acts as a smoke detector. So it either activates or deactivates these responses in us. So in times of intense stress or trauma, essentially the amygdala gets uh, hijacked and it prevents our bodies from turning off these responses. So now we're stuck in these responses. So essentially we unconsciously become offline mentally. So we're unaware of it, but our bodies just do this and we're like in this heightened state. So when stress and trauma become trapped in our body, it can start to manifest through our physical, mental, and emotional well-being. So 
we might start to feel unsafe in our bodies because now our bodies are a source of pain. Um, we start to give up. We're not really caring about ourselves. It's kind of taking over like our, our mind because you keep, you know, having these flashbacks and stuff. Yeah. Um, you might have the inability to make decisions or you have self-doubt. So maybe you're attending calls and you don't feel as confident or even just making decisions in your personal life. Um, your mind can constantly be stuck on like a rewind or replay. Again, these thoughts and feelings um, keep coming up or you might have triggers that bring up these thoughts and feelings. So a lot of times people will turn to maybe alcohol or drugs in attempt to numb how they're feeling, mm -hmm. uh, which can be um, detrimental too because you're not dealing with the emotions or the feelings to recycle them out. You're just masking it and it doesn't help. It doesn't they're not going away. They're not going anywhere. If you don't know how to recycle them out of your body by drinking alcohol, you're just kind of keeping them down in there. You're stuffing them away. Right. Um, so you can become hyper vigilant. Um, you're in this hyper arousal state state. So you're constantly feeling like you need to pace or shake. You're unable to sleep. You can't relax. You don't feel like you're up to socializing. You kind of isolate yourself. You don't really want to be around anyone else. Um, you're feeling really disconnected. You just want to kind of hide away. Those are some of the signs that maybe you're being affected by it. Um, and then if it start, it can start to get worse where you start to have thoughts of not wanting to live or inflict self-harm or even suicide. Um, and those are the, that's the, on the more extreme side. Um, so just recognizing, you know, what, what are the symptoms, um, in your body, like what are the feelings and then kind of recognizing um, how to kind of get out of that. So it affects our nervous system. So if you look at um, in your, if you're in a stressful state or if you're in a calm state, so when you're in a stressful state, it's your sympathetic nervous system. So your pupils will expand, uh, your breaths will become really fast and shallow your heart starts to you raise kind of like what I, I mentioned, and then your gut is inactive. So if you're stuck in that state, that's where you start to see digestive problems, uh, your blood, your um, heart rate's going up, your blood pressure's going up, um, you're not breathing properly, so you're not getting enough oxygen to the rest of your body, you're going to have lower uh, levels of energy, you're going to burn out quickly. And again, that can affect your sleep too. When you're in a calm state, um, that's your parasympathetic paras paras <laughs> nervous system, tongue twister. It's all those so words with a Y in the <laughs> I know. <laughs> so this is like more deeper breaths. Um, your heart rate's going to slow down. This is, you know, they refer to it as rest and digest. So you're going to start digesting your food. And that's when everything's working optimally. And when you're stuck in this hyper, hyper arousal state and you're full of stress, um, you know, you're you, just everything is off balance and you're not your body just kind of stops working properly. Um, so, again, when you're when you're in the fight, um, I guess the fight phase or, you know, the emotion that usually comes up is anger. So a lot of people could, um, you know, um, they will exp like explode or they'll argue or they'll react. They're constantly reacting in an anger, you know, maybe at home and stuff like that. If they're um, stuck in like a flight uh, stage, then usually they're feeling anxiety and fear. They might want to avoid. They don't want to talk to anybody. They don't want to do anything. They just want to kind of run away. They have these constant thoughts um, in the freeze 
state is um, disassociation or panic. Um, so they're kind of spacing out um, in and out. They're like not all there. They're just a lot of these uh, symptoms that are going through our bodies is it's pulling us away from the present moment. Mm. And we're not living in the now. We're just constantly living in these uh, states of stress and trauma or remembering you know, what has happened and you're constantly reliving it, um, which again is dangerous over time because it starts to affect our body in other ways. So different ways that you want to try to manage some of these triggers. Um, so, I mean, these triggers can be anything really based on whatever your experience was. So it could be certain people, you know, and again, it doesn't even have to be out, out on the road. It could be maybe there's a person at work that is constantly giving you a hard time. Maybe that's a trigger for you. Certain situations, different words or phrases that are being used, even tone of voice or even someone's walk can like trigger you, uh, even different experiences from childhood. Um, so often these triggers will evoke intense emotions within us. So um, uh, you'll feel sad, maybe fear, panic, gloom. You'll feel anger, rage, any types of wide range of emotions. And then because it, we're feeling those emotions, you either want to run away, push back, you want to fight, disassociate. You know, essentially, again, you're not, you're just consumed by these feelings and you're not really living in the present moment. Um, so what happens over time is these triggers will set as defaults in our minds and our bodies, like unconsciously, and you'll just keep reacting this way as opposed to um, managing them mm -hmm. um, because you're not aware of it. So the first thing is you have to become, you need to become aware of how you're actually feeling, like what sensations are going on in your body. Why are you reacting a certain way when somebody says this certain thing? Or when you show up at a certain call, maybe, you know, why are you feeling this way? Is it something else that it's related to? Again, it's having a physical and chemical um you know, response on your body. So in order for you to be able to manage that, you have to first be aware of what's actually invoking, you know, some of these feelings. So once you understand, then you can start to improve your relationships, your quality of life, but you have to be willing to do the work. You have to be able to figure out what, why am I feeling this way? And the easiest way to do that is to actually, um, be still and be quiet and be present um, and develop that awareness. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. It's, it's interesting. You mentioned some of that because again, some of the things I think about it are, are the things even that the frontline officers deal with, um, it, whether it's somebody who's chemically dependent and, and using alcohol or drugs or prescription medication, um, or I shouldn't say using, abusing these things and, um, you know, feel kind of, helpless to a degree, uh, but it's only until that person decides to make the change and put in the work, will they ever, uh, you know, turn around and, and that will be somebody that in a sense you, it's not that you don't have to deal with them and that's a bad, bad way to, to phrase it, but they're no longer um, a problem in a sense, right? So the same thing with ourselves uh, from what I'm listening from you is, is we need to become aware of what is happening with us um, physically and, and chemically, as you mentioned, and understand those triggers to then improve ourselves. Because I think even uh, I think most of us who understand um, these concepts are aware of the fact that even though we might be great today, tomorrow we can make it even better. Right. 
and mm-hmm. always build upon it, but we have to do we have to do the work. We have to put it in. Um, that's a, yeah, that's that's a, a great way to do it. So, with having to do the work, what is like? How do we get to the point of of coping, right? So, how do we go from somebody who um, may want that escape and start, hopefully not, but start abusing alcohol, drugs, and whatever escapisms they may need? Um, for these stressors, once one they how they become aware, and how do they then start coping to make the change? How do they put in that work? Yeah, so just exactly what you just mentioned. Um, you know, without having self-regulation capabilities, you start to depend on external regulation sources. So whether it be alcohol, drugs, medication, or constant reassurance from other people. Um, so the idea is to develop these self-regulation capabilities to realign um, the different experiences through these through the fight, flight, or freeze responses that you're getting from these um, experiences. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, that's why three things that I mean, and they don't have to use all these three things only, but they're the best I find to help develop awareness is the use of asanas, so postures in yoga. Um, prayanama, which is breath, and then meditation, uh, which are, again, three ways to connect with the mind, connect the mind, sorry, to the physical body to discharge stored uh, stress and trauma. But before I kind of get into the mindfulness aspect of it, um, just coming back to understanding how your body functions and how it works. Um, So I know a lot of people work in shift work, um, so it's really important to understand the circadian rhythm of our bodies so that you can fully understand how to um, have self-care practices around some of the physiological symptoms that might be happening. So our bodies are on a biological clock, which is based around sunlight. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and no offense, but it's always ticking people. This clock. It's is always, always ticking. <laughs> so... You know, if you look at that, it's like, well, well, what do you do? Um, You know, and if if you look at, especially sleep, like sleep's the number one thing, too. If you're looking at trying to recharge your batteries and um, have renewal energy so that you can last the next day, um, if you're you're not getting uh, enough sleep or proper sleep or uninterrupted sleep, that can affect you greatly. And when we sleep, our body's actually doing a lot of detoxing. it's regulating our temperature, our other types of hormones. Um, it regulates everything. So, um, you know, if you have lack of sleep, if you're working shift work or you're eating late at night, these are all things that can also put your body into turmoil, which exacerbates the stress and other things that you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, so just as an example, like your melatonin, it stops secreting at 730 in the morning. Um, it starts usually in the evening around nine o'clock at night. So you're supposed to be sleeping during that time from 9 p.m. to, let's say, 7, 30 p.m. But if you're working during the evening, you know, uh, and then you're supposed to, you're expected to sleep in the daytime to be up for your next night shift, you know, how do you manage that? Yeah. When, you know, especially if people are drinking coffee or you're, you're trying to stay awake in other ways. And the thing, too, is if you're not sleep, sleeping properly, then, you know, you're more prone to illnesses. Um, it just throws everything off. You're more prone to even maybe accidents 
or injury if you're not sleeping properly. Um, so that's why it's important to understand what your body rhythms are and try to follow those um, when you're trying to manage your stress mm-hmm. and your eating and all these other things too. Um, another another one that I, I really kind of like is the um, Meridian Organ Clock, which is from Chinese medicine. It it not only um, so it's like the circadian rhythm and it understands that you have um, different times of the day where your body's detoxing. But what's good about um, the organ clock is that it's a useful tool to, to understand um, how the body um, not only sorry how the body not only detoxifies, but it also they also connect um, like your emotional states too. So hmm. they believe that your organs are not only detoxing, but emotions are detoxing as well. So for example, let's say um, you keep waking up at 3am while your liver energy peaks at that time. So if you're suffering from blocked energy um, uh, within your liver, it can be related to unhealthy diet, um, excess alcohol consumption, any unresolved anger or high levels of stress. If you wake up at 4am, it could be an imbalance um, due to your lungs, which it relates to grief and sadness, fatigue, and reduced immune function. So I think that's important to understand too because it's not always about the length of time that you're sleeping, but the quality of time. And your body is supposed to be asleep at certain hours so that it can properly detox. Um, so if you're looking at stress and trauma and these other types of things that you're you're uh, dealing with, you know, um, maybe it's worry or um, other types of fears or, you know, so when you look at what your body is detoxing, it just gives you a better idea of, um, you know, if you keep waking at a certain time, like, what is that telling you? So it's about understanding your body a little bit better um, and what it's trying to tell you through your symptoms so that you know how to fix it and, and heal it. It's it's kind of telling you what you need, right? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so it's just another tool, I guess, for people to kind of be aware of, Um understanding um their body and then try to get in tune with themselves a little bit more yeah Yeah. and another thing too is um you know our bodies are not made to eat a 24-hour diet (laughs) so even people you know eating at a certain time of night like based on our circadian rhythm as well we have a glucose tolerance um that's kind of connected to that and it declines as the day goes on so um our blood, it's pretty much about our blood sugar level. So at 8 p.m., our blood sugar starts to go up and our inability to handle any type of sugar deteriorates over the evening but bounces back in the morning. So if you were to eat something after 8 p.m., it's twice as it's twice the response like on your blood sugar levels. So mm-hmm. it's as if you ate twice as much. Which is information you kind of want to know if you're working shift work. Yeah. Um, you know, if your body isn't designed or expected that you're going to be eating when it's dark outside, like, how do you manage that then? Um, so, I mean, what you eat is important, but when you eat is even more important. Mm. So, um, again, because it's related to our circadian rhythm, you know, so even if you're eating lower glycemic foods, so foods that are not going to spike your blood sugar level, even if you're eating lower glycemic foods after eight o'clock, 
uh, it can be worse for you than eating high glycemic foods in the morning. So knowing that it's like, okay, well, how do you, how do you eat on shift work? You know, how is that not going to stress your body out? Um, so you want to eat, you want to front load your calories in the morning because you have, um, it's going to affect your, your blood sugar levels lower than eating, uh, later in the night. So if you're sleeping, so kind of what I do is, you know, if let's say you go to bed in the morning, sometimes I'll try to eat a snack or something in the morning before I go to sleep. And then when I wake up, let's say four or five o'clock, try to eat, I try to eat before eight. If I can't, then I try to eat at least before 10. And then the goal is to not eat anything until the morning. If you Mm. could just drink water or something like that so that you don't throw your whole body out of whack because it's set on this timer. Um, So understanding how your body works, again, it gives you the knowledge to, okay, how can I manage the type of job I'm in a little bit better so that I can feel good and I'm not going to throw everything off. Yeah. So that's, that's why it, it's important to kind of understand some of these things. And Yeah, that's something uh, that would be great for any incoming officer or anybody, like I said, on shift work. Be like, hey, by the way, here's the uh, timetable. Uh, we suggest this for your food just for the pure fact of the circadian rhythm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what I found out <laughs> recently? And I used to be a really bad sugar sugar addict, and <laughs> it was a problem because, again, you know, if you're you, you're tired, you've got low energy. What do you go for? You go for the vending machine or what's open late? Usually, like convenience stores or yeah. like, you know, coffee shops with donuts. The good <laughs> so stuff for you. I guess that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what you kind of go for, and um, so apparently, sugar it actually spikes. It, it spikes your fight, your fight, flight, or freeze response in your system just the same as going to like a high risk call, hmm. which blew me away because um, your body will produce cortisol, which is the hormone, is the stress hormone that helps you manage stress, but it also helps manage blood sugar levels. So when you're eating sh- high sugar foods, it's constantly putting more cortisol into your system. So it's like, okay, here we are trying to combat the cortisol and the stress levels by doing, you know, uh, mindful practices or trying to, you're trying to try, you're trying to be healthier, but then you're, you're invoking the same response on your body. doesn't know the difference in that way. You know what I mean? So again, knowing stuff like that, it's like, okay, I'm not going to eat sugar. Or if I do, Maybe I'll eat it for breakfast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you gotta smart. have it right before bed. You gotta have it right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it just kind of shows your, how your body works and managing your stress and the different types of things that um, you know that you should know on how to improve your health. Um, you know, some examples of some low glycemic foods, glycemic foods, sorry, um, that you want to eat. Again, it, it always comes back to like fruits and vegetables, grains and legumes. Um, a lot of leafy greens. Yeah. I don't. I, I won't list them all. People can maybe look them up, but you want to kind of stick to those types of foods, especially at nighttime, um, so that you're not spiking your blood sugar level. Um, uh, Dr. Gregor of NutritionFacts.org. Um, I have a link that I'll put into the show notes, um, but it's great. They have a website, resources on all sorts of different foods. Um, that he had, he wrote a book called how not to die. <laughs> so he talks about, one. yeah. So <laughs> everything that you need to know nutritionally, 
and why it's good for you. And he's all these short little video clips, which are great as an educational tool if you're trying to learn uh, or just become more aware of your health and diet. Um, he's got a daily dozen that he says that you should try to implement into your diet each day. So 12 foods that you should always try to have. Um, he says berries, um, cruciferous vegetables. So that's usually um, like broccoli, cauliflower, um, Brussels sprouts, like anything from that family. Yep. Uh, different types of vegetables. Mushrooms are really good. Um, it's They have vitamins and nutrients that um, feed your good bacteria, uh, bacteria in your gut. Mm-hmm. Um, nuts, different spices and herbs, uh, grains, flax seeds, really good for you. Um, again, the really leafy greens, um, fruits, and then beans. Lots of water, obviously exercise. Um, and B12 is something that um, people should be taking as a supplement. There's a few supplements that I take. I don't take a lot, but there's a couple um, that I take. Um, the B12 keeps your nerves and your blood cells healthy. Um, it helps make DNA. So it prevents anemia, which is going to prevent you from feeling tired in a week. Mm. Um, so if you're over 50, um, it's good to be taking it or, um, the way that we break it down is through our stomach, but we only have 10% of our hydrochloric uh, acid in our stomach. And as you get older, it starts to decrease. So we have a harder time breaking down um, the B12s in foods, so from like meats and stuff like that. So it's good to have a supplement. Uh, vitamin D um, is really important to have. They refer to it as the sun, sunshine vitamin because that's what's produced when we're in the sun. Yeah. Um, but uh, vitamin D promotes bone growth, facilitates normal function of our immune system. So it's going to help prevent um, certain diseases. If you feel like you're starting to get the flu, pop a vitamin D. It'll help. Um, it also regulates mood and prevents depression and anxiety. So again, knowing some of these things, it's going to, when your body's healthier, you're able to manage stress a lot better. Um, and then those daily 12 foods that I was kind of mentioning, uh, the reason why some of them are really good is because they have um, a lot of phytonutrients, which are found in plants that help prevent disease, and polyphenols, which are packed with antioxidants. Um, they heart they help improve and treat digestive issues, weight, any uh, weight management, um, neuro, um, neurodegenerate diseases, cardiovascular disease, all sorts of stuff. So, again, it's usually coming back to lots of fruits and vegetables and stay away from the processed foods. I know people mostly know that, but yeah, a it, lot of uh, it's hard to do sometimes in our, it our is hard era to of convenience. Yeah. yeah. And what happens, too, is if you're eating those foods that are not good for you. Um, highly refined carbs, processed foods, meats, um, dairy, stuff like that. It um, causes inflammation in our body and it makes it a lot more difficult, for again, for you to manage stress um, on the job. And, and if you don't have your digestive system um, working properly, it can also lead to other types of illnesses and stuff. So hmm. that's why I, you know, diet is huge. Um, understanding, you know, the things that you need. Um, you know, even, even Epsom salts baths, stuff like that, um, which has, um, high magnesium and it helps to absorb it, which can also, which is essential for stress relief and for sleep. So let's say you're having problems sleeping. Okay. You can take an Epsom salt bath, you know, that the magnesium and it's going to actually help you. So just knowing different types of routines that you can get into if you're having some difficulties or some of these symptoms that I mentioned. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's crazy. There's a lot, uh, and like you said, you got to take the initiative yourself to get there, um, and all of it has to work in, in unison. So it's not just one thing to fix because then your scales are still out of balance, right? So Yeah, exactly. And, you know, once I started researching and just finding out um, some of the different tools, you realize how everything's connected and you can't, you can't treat one area without affecting the other. So you have to kind of take a holistic approach, um, fully like the whole body, um, and kind of connect everything together. Cause it's, it's all relevant and how our systems work together. Yeah. So, um, as you and I talked to earlier, we'll definitely put, um, some links in here for people. And I'm, I'm hoping as well, and I'll coordinate with you on this to get some of these, um, infographics that you have uh, in, in reference to some of the different uh, foods, some of the uh, like shift work um, eating that you talked about, the circadian rhythm, the meridian clock, uh, meridian organ clock, um, and some of these uh, other ones in reference to the domains of resilience, the regulation techniques. Um, because I think it would be good for people. One of the things um, with one of the infographics is <clears throat> that one that expresses which one are you the most, or excuse me, which one are you in most? And being at different workplaces and different uh, policing agencies, along with dispatch and officers and higher uh, higher up officers or brass, however people like to to phrase them, and other admin employees. Um, I find this one uh, a really good um, a good way, I think, I would think, for someone to start, right? So if they're recognizing some of those uh, triggers and starting to become self-aware about why they feel bad physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that this might be a good way. Would this be a good way for them to go, yep, nope, I'm feeling that, and then... To, as a jumping off point, like they can actually block themselves into one of these and go, I'm doing pretty good or uh, I'm going to need some work because this is what I'm starting to see. Yeah, exactly. The idea is to bring a level of awareness. So have practices in place where you're um, taking a step back and you're observing, you know, how you're reacting, what are your emotions, what are your behaviors, how are your energy levels, like how are you feeling? Um understanding yourself is a starting point um so you know the idea of mindfulness versus you know or mindful versus mindful mm -hmm. so mindful as in like you spell it like mind and then it's full f-u-l-l -L. it's full of you know stuff or mindful as in like mindful meditation so if you look at those two different things they mean completely different things right so yeah. um you know as an example you you have two people and they're looking at um, a scenery and they're standing next to each other enjoying the view. Well, one person who has their mind full of, you know, planning, daydreaming, maybe they're thinking about the past or their future plans. Maybe they're thinking about themselves or other people. Um, their mind is full of other thoughts. They're not actually present in the moment enjoying the scenery. Um, that's referred to as like the narrative um, circuitory so your mind is either in that which is uh, the default that's what our minds tend to do mm. um, and the other one it's called direct experience so if you're actually 
using all your senses, you're in the present moment, um, your atten- your attention's increased, you're actually you're actually living the fullest reality of the event. Whereas, um, you know, the other narrative one, you're, you're putting on your interpretations and you're constantly thinking about other stuff. So two different experiences, um, but it takes work for you to actually be present in the moment and to have that direct experience. Um, so that's the idea of practicing mindfulness when you're um, not thinking about all those other things, but you're actually just being present, your mind, it gets stronger when you practice that. And my, being mindful is a habit that you have to practice and train yourself. And there's two different types of thinking. So the stronger that you, you know, you start practicing the direct experience, that will over time get stronger. And you'll be able to play between the two and know uh, when you're not paying attention or you're thinking about all those other things. And again, yes, you need that in certain circumstances. But if that's all we're doing and we're only experiencing life in the narrative state and we're not actually experiencing, um, that's when, you know, you're kind of um, losing out on having the space that you need to be able to um, make decisions uh, instead of just reacting or instead of just taking action, you can actually create space where you're now in control and you can make effective decisions and you can kind of control um, your thoughts and your emotions. You're the one in the driver's seat that can make those changes. Yeah, it it reminds me, (laughs) and this might date me a little bit, but um, basically of the line in in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and it's the, uh, he looks at the camera and tells everybody, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. And mm-hmm. even though you might be thinking about the past and the future and everything else, that that narrative circuitry is allowing uh, life to basically pass you by. You're not taking in taking in the moment. Um, so you being the yoga cup, um, you you have built all of this stuff, these great resources. What is um, your key. So the the meditation that comes out of this, what are some of the things you would suggest for people who are starting to become aware and needing to make changes and, um, you know, combat them, the, the stressors and the eating and the, all the changes that they mm-hmm. want to now become whole again, so to speak? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's studies that show that the brain has the ability to change and heal itself in response to mental experiences. So, um, you know, knowing that, I mean, and it's referred to as neuroplasticity, so you can actually change the brain chemistry within your mind um, by doing these practices. Uh, ultimately, you're creating this neuroplastic mental intervention mm. uh, through mi- through mindfulness. And again, it's developed through habit, but when you're practicing amongst the chaos, um, you know, in those moments where you're having these triggers or these reactions, um, you know, it's being mindful of it. Say, like, oh, you know, I'm having this reaction, being aware of it, um, being mindful that it's present and then working through it um, to ultimately change um, how you're reacting. So you can actually have, um, there's a few different mindfulness meditation exercises that can help get you there. Okay. Um, one of them is just to be aware. So, um, 
any, I mean, you can do these anywhere too. So it's not like you have to go into a quiet room and <laughs> sit somewhere, which, you know, when we were doing our meditation um, practices at the temple, you know, a lot of people were having trouble, you know, I can come here and I know how to, I can practice my meditation and I feel good and I feel calm. But then I go home and my kids are bugging me or I go back to work and that's where my stress is. Or So the idea is that, you know, you want to practice these mindfulness, um, um, I guess, tools when you're at work or when you're at home or wherever the chaos is, you want to be in it and practicing it. And even if you need to take a couple of seconds in your car or in your work seat at your desk or wherever you are, you, these are practices that you can do um, short little exercises. So one is um, just be practicing being aware. So um, you can do a physical internal body scan. So essentially, you would just breathe deeply. And then you can either close your eyes or keep your eyes open. And you can just do uh, a mental scan all the way from your head um, down to your shoulders, through your arms, your body, just be present. And, you know, do you feel pain? Uh, what are the sensations? Um, go all the way down your legs, down to your toes, um, and then come all the way back up again. And again, that will bring you right into the present moment. It will help calm you. Um, even breathing techniques will help calm you. Um, so that's one example that you can do. Um, another one is a concentration exercise. Um, you can fixate on an object, either keep your eyes open. Um, well for this one, you would have to keep them open, um, to look at the object and then you just hold space. So you would stare at it and try to concentrate on it. Um, what will happen is your thoughts will wander with most meditations and you'll start thinking about other things. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I'm supposed to be concentrating. Let me come back to this object and that's it's like a it's like a workout for your mind every time you do that just as as though you would go to the gym and work your body out and do you know like I say a bicep curl every time you're trying to focus or concentrate and practice mindfulness and your thoughts wander off and then they come back that's a repetition for your mind to get stronger at focusing um, and practicing that so again it's like a, an exercise for your mind um, another one is you can calm the mind. Um, so just shifting into a state of focused energy, alertness, and calm by focusing on your breath and just be present. You can even be present, um, on what's going on around you. So maybe you're hearing, you know, using your senses, right? So what are you hearing? Do you see any, you know, what are you seeing? Um, and just kind of focus on that as opposed to just, um, being internal, uh, with your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, another one that people can do is heart focused, um, meditation, which is, is just practice drawing in specific feelings to offset the draining emotions. So you would, um, you know, you could close your eyes, you would breathe deeply and then focus your attention on your heart and practice the feelings of ease, tolerance, gratitude, forgiveness, Love, courage, dignity, integrity, honor, appreciation, adventure, enjoyment. Any of those feelings um, are going to change your body physiologically from any of those stressful states. Um, and, you know, in the part of the brain where cortisol, the stress hormone, is, um, is developed, there is another hormone called DHEA, which is also... 
um, developed in the same area. And if you are feeling these um, positive emotions, it's going to release the um, the positive uh, stress or the positive hormone, not the stress hormone, the DHEA. Um, so you're you're countering your body from wanting to produce that stressful hormone. So you're going to be naturally easing your easing your body and your mind. Nice. And um, another one that you could try is any type of emotional let go. Again, you want to maybe do this one at home, so you're not like start crying at work or something. <laughs> it's like, what's wrong yeah. with you? It shouldn't um, be uh, you know thought of as a negative, but I completely no. understand. Yeah. <laughs> but or whatever, if you, or if you need to, then go into like a quiet room and kind yeah. of just have a have an emotional release. Like yeah. you know, we're so as humans, like we've we have to be so mentally tough all the time where we don't want to show our emotions, you know, and when we're scared as children, like our hands will shake, you know, it's our, it's our natural, our body's natural way of releasing stress out mm-hmm. of our body. Mm-hmm. But then as we become adults, we kind of, you know, keep that, you know, oh, I can't show that I'm afraid and I can't do that and I can't do this. So you don't show your emotions and that's what the problem is too, is we're not really, how to, we're not recycling some of the emotions that we're feeling in a day. So, you need to practice letting those go. Um, so you could do this through visualization. Um, so you can just evaluate your emotions or even just your relationships. Maybe you're having trouble with um, somebody in your family or something. And just imagine how it would feel to um, be like a still pool or a mountain stream um, or a mist or a great sea. And when you're thinking about these different types of waters, you can, whatever emotions decide to come up, just allow them to emerge while you're visualizing and let and release them as they come up. Mm. So anytime that emotions come up and we push them away, um, we're not allowing them out of our bodies. You have to make sure that you allow them out and it's okay to have them release. Um, so those are some different practices that people can do anywhere. Again, even if you have to do it at work, you can do the emotional let go. But what happens is you're at a call or you deal with something that's stressful at work. And how many of us, you know, take that home with us? We're not wearing it. And then it's like over and over and over again, it's you keep thinking about it and you're like, oh, I should have said this or, yeah. you know, why, did I, why didn't I do that? And, you know, the idea is to recycle them at the time, even right after the call, maybe in your car or like go for a walk down the hallway if you're at your desk and just shake it off, try to release it. If you feel like that's not good enough, you need to kind of maybe do it when you get home, then have some practices in place that you are allowing that to be removed from your body. Yeah, I think that's a great, great tip and point because there are, even though, again, uh, some of our... Um, Critics will say that we don't, we have emotions as well within uh, this industry and that especially just letting it go is always a hard thing. Like you said, it could have been something that you're now playing back in your mind, thinking you could have done differently, said differently, it could have wrapped up differently. How could you have responded differently? I mean, you, you, you toil over it and nobody ever really lets it go. It so it just keeps working your system over and over. So that's mm-hmm. that's great to say that if you can do it after that wrap up to let it go. Yeah. And that's the idea of doing it like while it's happening so that you don't, and and I, this comes from nine years of experience because when I was younger and I was new, newer on the job, I didn't handle my stress the same way. I had trouble sleeping. My digestive system, my digestive system was off. And, um, like what I know now, it's just, how I am and how I feel is completely different. 
um, than when I first started. And it, sometimes it takes years of practice yeah. um, to kind of understand what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, there's um, there's a few different breath exercises too that people can try, which again you can do anywhere. Um, if you're trying to improve your focus, um, then you can practice breathing at a steady pace and you want to count on the exhale. So if you're counting to 10, um, so if you inhaled and then as you exhale, count that as one. And then the second exhale, count that as two. Keep repeating that up to 10 um, a few times. And then if you want to get into deeper relaxation, you can switch from counting on the exhale to counting on the inhale, and that will naturally deepen your breath. Um, if you want to get into more of like a meditative breathing state, you can stop counting altogether and just try to be present. And it's the same thing about doing that body scan. You know, if your mind wanders with different thoughts, just bring it back to your breath. Mm-hmm. And um, that will, again, practice um, you staying in the present moment um, of, of experiencing as opposed to those thoughts that you keep, keep racing in your head. Um, you can also do um, a balance breathing, which you would breathe in for eight counts and you would breathe out for eight counts. Um, and then you would just keep repeating that. If you want to relax, you were going to um, in, so you're going to exhale longer than your inhale. And if you're trying to energize your body, you're going to inhale longer than your exhale. Mm. Um, so those things, so even your breath can even change your physio, you know, physiological, physiologically or physiology, um, with the, those different practices. Another good one too is, um, it's called the four, seven, eight. So you would inhale for four counts, hold for seven counts. So seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And then you would exhale for eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. So if you're doing that one, um, to be more mindful, you can put your left hand on your heart and your right hand on your belly and just feel your breath as it's going in. Because when you take in a breath, um, not everybody breathes through their diaphragm. Like they hold it really high in their chest. Um, you want to have it up into your chest, but then down into your ribs and then into your belly. And when you focus on that, um, that's when you're really going to be more mindful and you're going to get that deeper breath that's going to naturally calm you. Mm-hmm. So the, the belly breathing is what actually activates your vagus nerve in your nervous system. It's the one that activates the parasympathetic nervous system, the one that's for the relaxation, calm, and digestion, whereas the sympathetic is that state of fight, flight, or freeze. So you want to activate that you can, again, be conscious of trying to push your belly in and out when you're breathing and focus on that. And that will help. Even if you do that before you go to sleep, laying in your bed, if you have trouble sleeping, that will help you fall asleep. Um, so those are just a few um, breathing exercises that can get you started as well. Yeah, that's awesome. So <clears throat> we covered a lot. I'm sure people's heads are exploding. <laughs> there's Too much so information. Much. It, re- it really is. And that's the best part, right? So... Um, and as I said earlier, there are some great infographics and this is hard to remember for everybody who's just listening, whether it's on their commute or while they're at work, typing a report, whatever the circumstances that Mm -hmm. they're, uh, consuming the podcast, but we all need some, um, uh, a place to go to, you know, pull it back forward because 
while you've been doing it for nine, nine plus years and, and, you know, bettering yourself through yoga, meditation, nutrition, understanding circadian rhythm and kind of how the body works. Um, thankfully, everybody listening is just learning all this and probably, I'm hoping, are super excited to get into practice to kind of get their body back. Where I know midnight shift guys um, and girls who just absolutely hate it and hate what it does to their body and how long it takes them to adjust. Um, so this will be an awesome resource for a lot of them who, who kind of need that um, guidance that personally should have always been up there and up front. I know, mm-hmm. I didn't even know this until you, you provided this. So um, with all that, as a, we've told everybody, the stuff will be in the show notes. We'll piecemeal some stuff together too for the infographics. Um, maybe have a, a separate PDF that has all of that nice nutrition in it and, and the time frame in which to be eating for shift work to help work with your body and, and get you there and healthy. Some of these breathing techniques and the meditation practices that they can go search for. Mm-hmm. With all of that, to come to a big wrap up, what is your call for action for, for everybody who's listening? So I would say my call for action and, you know, some people might say, well, what does all this health and wellness stuff have to do with building resiliency? What does it have to do with the job or what I'm doing? Um, The idea is to build the ability to cope with what we deal with in our day to day lives, especially in the line of work that we do. Um, So when you look at resiliency, um, it's the ability of an individual to recover from a traumatic event or to remain psychologically robust when faced with adverse an adverse ed- event and the types of adversity that we deal with. Um, so there was five things I just want to mention um, that was uh, brought up by um, Dr. Ian Duterte in one of his studies in 2014. He said that um, self-care, um, so it's self-care, self-compassion, Social, social support, optimism, and emotional intelligence are really important for people to build up their resiliency. So again, what is self-care? Self-care is making time that you have time to rest, relax, rejuvenate, recharge your batteries, whether this is a massage, going to a spa, um, you know, to relax. It's, it's eating properly, some of the stuff that we mentioned, not drinking alcohol, um, you know, excessively, uh, reducing your, you know, cigarette smoking, those types of things on your self care and your body. Yeah. Self compassion is the idea of being um, nice to yourself. So that positive self talk, knowing that you've done your best in certain circumstances, don't be so hard on yourself. Knowing that you know sometimes you're not going to have control over certain outcomes. Um, having social support, so having people around you that are going to lift you up, that are going to be positive, and Although um, family is really important and we want their support, there are studies that actually show that peer support and the people that we work with are even more important. So you really want to make sure that you build those positive relationships at work, that you have a go-to person, somebody that you can talk to, um, or even just be together to make you feel um, supported at work and someone has your back. Mm. Um, And then there's a level of optimism that's needed as well because you could have all of those things, but if you're negative and you're constantly um, looking on the negative side and you don't care about certain things and you're just, then 
it doesn't matter how much social support or self-care you have. If you are not positive and are looking for, um, you know, looking on the bright side of things and looking at the positives in certain situations and always look at the negatives, then you're doomed in that aspect where it can develop, you know, depression and all, all sorts of other things. Yeah. And then uh, the level of emotional intelligence, again, that comes back to that level of awareness and understanding what your triggers and your emotions are and how are you operating in certain situations and how are you going to develop that? It's going to be through some of those practices that I mentioned um, to build that mindfulness. Uh, and then if you look, yeah, and then also if you look at um, some of the work that I was looking at too is through um, the Institute of Heart Math. So they have studies that are showing that your heart rate has uh, um, a biomagnetic f- uh, field. So, you know, when you're when you're incoherent, it's all of your systems working together. So if your body's in a state of coherence, it's your mind, your heart, your emotions, your nervous system, your hormonal systems, your immune systems are all functioning together to be coherent. So the idea that when you're in this state of calm and coherence, when you're practicing these things, um, you now have the ability to create social co- uh, coherence, which means you now, like they, they have studies that show that your, your heart rate can affect um, other people. So if I'm calm and I walk into a room and I'm talking to you, I can now bring your heart rate down and I can calm you based on my presence. Um, so what does that say about police officers and how are they showing up at calls and what does that look like for community? Mm. Right. Right. So, you know, when you're taking care of yourself, you're ultimately taking care of other people because how you show up at work in these situations are ultimately going to depend on your ability to handle these situations. Um, and, you know, I really like um, how Dr. David Klinger, um, he's, he's at the University of Missouri. He talks about high uh, reliability organizations. So organizations that um, are, you know, so as an example, let's say airlines, like you, if they mess up, lots of people will, will die, right? Because you have all these passengers on a flight. Right. So the, the idea is that... Um, to reduce the likelihood of errors and um, not to discourage critical thinking. So when you're inattentive at work or you're in a routine all the time and you're not being mindful in the work that you're doing, then these errors can happen, right? So you want to design structures and operations that um, keep retraining the mind and keeping an open mind, uh, reviewing mistakes that happen and... um, you know, like debriefing afterwards on like how to do things better and how to improve um, to prevent like repeat failures and stuff like that, right? So the idea is when you're practicing these types of mindfulness, when you show up at work, you know, that also relates to the type of work that you're doing. So officer safety issues, right? You're going to be more mindful. You're going to recognize, you're going to react a lot quicker. Um, So it's going to help you in the job that you're doing, not just in your personal life, but like everything else is going to fall in line with that. Yeah. Yeah. Just bringing about again, that, that balance and being mindful without the extra L. Um, yeah. So what, what, uh, we'll have all that stuff in the, the links in the show notes. People can consume all this material. What's a way if they uh, want to reach out to you, if they have any other specific questions or, uh, I want you to come to their PD and, and uh, you know, maybe do some kind of presentation on this as well. 
Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm on Instagram as The Yoga Cop. I'm also on Twitter as The Yoga Cop. And you can find me on LinkedIn under my name, Amy Boudreaux. And um, yeah, reach out if you have any more questions. Um, again, a lot of the information that I'm sharing, um, I want to get the information out there so that people know how to manage their work better. Um, and it's really important that everybody understands that their own well-being um, must start with them first. You know, it uh, needs to be holistic, but also individualized because what works for me might not work for you. And so that's why you, the individual, has to put the work in to understand their own body and what you need. And this is the first step to that. So, yeah, if anyone has questions, they want to reach out, um, I'll be happy to share information or come talk uh, to your group. Awesome. Amy, the yoga cop, Boudreaux, thank you very much for being on the show and sharing all this with us. And have a good day. Thanks. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Neuro Knowledge Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review and share it with all your friends, and we will catch you next time.